It's Mock Draft Monday here on the Locked On Seahawks podcast. Who do the fans think that the Seahawks are going to be taking in this month's draft? Rob Rang and I are going to be dissecting a number of fan-submitted mock drafts on today's show. Let's get it rolling. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Happy Mock Draft Monday to all of our listeners. Hope all of you had an outstanding weekend. Jam-packed episode coming your way. We're going to be dissecting a number of fan-submitted mock drafts today. We did this a lot last offseason, and it's backed by popular demand. So, Rob and I are going to have a chance to grade out your drafts, share our favorite picks, maybe the picks that were a little bit questionable. We're going to have some fun with that today. As always, thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Bet BetOnline has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. Now for your lead story here on our Mock Draft Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks. Bobby Wagner officially has a new uniform, a new jersey number, and a new team, signing his five-year $50 million contract with the Rams earlier today and speaking with reporters down in Los Angeles for the first time. Rob, as expected, just like seeing Russell Wilson wearing a Broncos uniform, pretty odd to see Bobby Wagner not only in Rams blue and yellow, but wearing a different number. Number 45 is what he's going to be wearing for the Seahawks' bitter NFC West rival next season. And he had a chance to weigh in on how things ended with his time in Seattle and obviously was not happy with finding out about his release before Pete Carroll and John Schneider were able to touch base with him. Didn't appreciate the communication. And now a couple weeks later, clearly is still agitated by that. Yeah, he is. Uh, you know, and I, I remember uh, evaluating Bobby Wagner back at Utah State where he wore the, the jersey number nine. And of course that, you know, you think about the four plus five is nine, 54, the number, of course, he wore the Seahawks uh, also equals nine. But it, it just felt a little bit backwards uh, seeing that number 45 in, instead of the 54 in in, in the Seattle colors uh, to, to see Bobby Wagner kind of presented in that way. Just it, it did. I think from a lot of Seahawks fans, when they, when they see the pictures and they hear the audio, when they just even listen to us, just kind of talk about it, it, it still is a is I think very raw for a lot of Seahawks fans, as is uh, the, the situation with Russell Wilson. But with Bobby Wagner, as you just mentioned, Corbin, I mean, it felt like it was a little bit raw for him also. Um, just just kind of criticizing the Seahawks for the, the the fact that they were unable to uh, you know communicate with him prior to his release and, and he just kind of questioned the idea uh, that uh, you know that was mentioned by Pete Carroll and John Schneider that maybe this was a case that it was it was made a little bit more difficult with the player actually representing himself as of course Bobby Wagner did and 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 Wagner not to put it you know his into different words but Wagner basically called that a weak response uh, from Seattle. And, and so to me, that that's what it's all going to come down to here is it, it is just kind of unfortunate the way that the relationship ended. 
but but still, we, we recognize what a, what a terrific player Bobby Wagner is uh, and, and has been for the Seahawks. I look forward to competing against the now number 45 in the future. I think the fact that, that he was owed as much money as he was, and while it's been reported as a five-year, $50 million contract, it really comes down to Bobby Wagner's going to get a base salary next year, Corbin, with Los Angeles Rams at just $1.5 million. The fact that a lot of other NFL teams did not give him more money. I think kind of speaks to what Seattle saw on the field. Really good football player. Certainly deserves everything that he gets moving forward. But at the same time, the fact that he did not sign a deal that gives him more money immediately, I think speaks to the fact there's a lot of NFL teams out there, obviously Seattle included, that just did not feel that his uh, play on the field matches reputation, certainly matched the contract that he was previously due. Yeah, that's the big thing is there's there's numbers floating around right now. Now, I'll say this. Bobby Wagner on his own Twitter account was disputing the numbers that were released by Mike Florio, Pro Football Talk today. So the numbers that he reported may not be accurate necessarily on his contract. Maybe some of them were and some of them were not. We don't know. I'm sure there will be some clarification here in coming days once places like Over the Cap and Spot Track have gotten access to all the contract details, we should have a better idea. But I think we all expected when this news came out that it was a five-year, $50 million deal. You and I both know how this business works, Rob. Yeah, it might say five years, $50 million, but it's really a year-to-year proposition, especially when you're talking about a player that's getting to be an older linebacker like Bobby Wagner. There's no way that I see him playing out all five years on that contract. They might get two years, maybe three at the most on that contract. And I'd be kind of surprised if he lasted longer than a year or two just because he's an older player maybe they would restructure the contract but nonetheless wishing him the best in his new fresh start in LA and he's not necessarily holding a grudge against the Seahawks he said that he was grateful for what John Schneider and Pete Carroll said at that presser last month as you mentioned he did say that he thought the idea that him being that him representing himself ended up impacting things negatively. He did not view that. He thought that that was a weak explanation. But nonetheless, he's happy with what happened in his 10 years in Seattle. He's happy with what he was able to accomplish with the team. And he's looking forward to his opportunity now to be able to compete for championships with the Rams. And the fact he gets to play the Seahawks, this is the other thing that jumped out to me. He's like, look, you know, playing against the Seahawks is not the number one reason that he went to the Rams. But it's certainly a nice cherry on top, the opportunity to play against and beat his former team twice a year. So it might not have been his number one reason, but you can't say that it was something that didn't weigh into his decision either. And that's what you want to see. You want to see guys that are competitors and, you know, getting the chance to play against the former team, getting to play at Lumen Field, even if he's not in a Seahawks uniform, that is going to be one heck of a game, at least atmosphere-wise, when the Rams come to town, same could be said when the Broncos come to town, seeing these legendary former Seahawks come to town with their new teams. Those are going to be games that everybody has circled on their calendars to see those big future Hall of Famers come back to their old stomping grounds and get to play on their old home field. It's Mock Draft Monday, so Rob and I are going to be diving into a bunch of your listener mock drafts. We had over 75 of them submitted, so I hate to break it to our fans. We won't be reading through all of those, but we picked a handful that we're going to be looking at and dishing out some grades, talking about our favorite picks here in a moment. 
Before we break down any of these mock drafts, I want to talk to you about a product my wife and I use literally every day. We started taking AG1 from Athletic Greens because we want an easy, delicious way of improving our gut health, and I believe that we found it. With one delicious scoop uh, out of the green canister of AG1, you and we as well could be absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. It's lifestyle friendly. We drink it first thing in the morning, even before our coffee. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything, while still tasting good. We've experienced better, sounder sleep and recovery. It supports mental clarity and alertness. It's the one thing with the best of things. Athletic Greens, and specifically AG1 is what we use, uses the best of the best products based on the latest science, and it's just one scoop and a cup of water every single day. That's it. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you one free supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. If you've been listening to the Lockdown Seahawks podcast for very long, you've seen me on the road with those AG1 packets. All you have to do is visit, visit athleticgreens.com slash NFL Network. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash NFL Network to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. After months of playing, the college basketball season has finally reached the national championship game. Going to be deciding a champion tonight. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. For all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it, BetOnline remains the best spot for all of your latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports and wagering informational needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. We've also got the major league season coming up in the near future as well. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. Bet online where the game starts. You're listening to the Mock Draft Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And make sure to check out the Locked on NFL podcast. It's available streaming live five days a week on YouTube. Also can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and all major platforms. We've got analysts covering all 32 teams, dishing out insight and analysis. You don't want to miss five days a week. So again, Locked on NFL, make sure to check it out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. So it's Mock Draft Monday, and we've kind of been switching things up week in, week out. Sometimes we look at national experts and who they think the Seahawks are going to pick. Last week, we broke down one of my own mock drafts. This week, we, at the request of a number of fans, number of listeners of the podcast are going to be breaking down four mock drafts that were submitted. Again, we had more than 75 of them submitted to us in the last 24 hours. So Rob, you and I had to comb through a bunch of really good mock drafts and try to come up with four that had enough differences that we could dissect them. And I'm really looking forward to this. I I love doing this on mock draft Monday because you can really tell that the Seahawks fan base, particularly this year, with a high first-round pick, that they've done their homework. 
They they have done their homework, and there's a lot of interest in. It. I mean, I, I was driving down the road, Corbin, just yesterday, and uh, I I ha- asked my wife to kind of check my phone for me, look at the the Twitter uh, responses and comments out there, and suddenly I had like 35, 40 of them. I didn't know what was going on, and I thought, <laughs> oh, I bet you Corbin just asked our listeners to 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 submit some mock drafts, and that's exactly what happened. So so thank you for all of our listeners, all of our followers. Uh, thank you so much for all of the different fantastic ideas that you just submitted Let, let's break it down one of the draft classes i really was intrigued by the most and i apologize if i'm mispronouncing this but i believe it's steph tanguay uh and and had a spectacular draft i think especially at the top end had, had Kayvon thibodeau fallen down to the seahawks at number nine overall and that was their selection I, I would grade that the same way that the pro football focus did with an A plus. If they are able to get a player of that caliber fall down to their lap at number nine, then I understand some of the concerns that you have about him. I also see the upside with him. So to me, that was an interesting selection. Just quickly, just to kind of run down the rest of their selections. But again, I, I thought that this draft started off very, very nicely from a Seattle perspective. Thibodeau at number nine overall. The quarterback, Desmond Ritter from Cincinnati, number 41 overall. I like a little drop down in the trade here. Moved down to number 43 overall, where uh, Seattle was able to get the defensive lineman, Logan Hall from Houston. You and I have talked about him a lot on our show in the past we're both big fans of him abraham lucas the offensive attack from washington state at number 72 overall in the third round tyler algier excuse me from byu the running back uh the fourth round number 109 overall 118 overall caleb evans the cornerback uh from missouri an offensive lineman who I think people should be talking about a little bit more. Certainly the analytic crowd uh, absolutely loves Zach Tom from Wake Forest. I do as well. You watch him on tape. uh, You watch the way that he performed. I believe it was in the East West Shrine Bowl um, in Las Vegas and and really solid performance from him. So Zach Tom from Wake Forest and the guy that I'm intrigued by. Marquand Moggs quickly. Marquand McCall, excuse me, from Kentucky. Interior defensive lineman in the sixth round. Round. Logan Bruss from Wisconsin, offensive tackle from uh, from the Badgers, who I think might move inside the guard when it's all said and done uh, in the NFL. And then finally, last but not least, Jeremiah Gimmel, the, the outside linebacker from North Carolina to wrap it up. I, I think that this was a really solid draft class, score, but I, I think that we're talking about B plus, A minus, one of the better draft classes uh, of the 75 plus, as you mentioned, that we saw. Yeah, I'm going to give this one a B plus, right in the same area that you're at. I'm not sure about some of the value picks late. That's being a, a bit finicky, obviously. But if you can get Thibodeau at number nine, I think you and I would both agree that that is a home run. I love trading back and still being able to get Logan Hall, who I think could be a player that potentially sneaks into the end of the first round, depending how the edge players end up playing out. This could be a draft where you have 10 or 11 edge players that are picked in the first 32 selections. It's that kind of depth. And compared to some of the other position groups, the importance, obviously, you need guys that can get after the quarterback. Those are the players that are getting picked in marquee spots. So being able to get him there is, is really a big deal. Abraham Lucas at 72, that might be about the sweet spot to be able to get him. I'm looking at him probably as a second rounder, but it's possible that he could be there at 72. That would be really good value for a guy that I think can come in and play snaps for the Seahawks right away. And I think Tyler Algier is one of the more underrated running backs in this class. Some might say pick 109 is a bit rich. I would not be in that category. If that's the running back that they really like, I think he fits their scheme. He's a physical downhill runner. 
has some ability to catch the ball, has played some special teams. I like that pick a lot. And you mentioned Zach Tom. That would probably be my favorite selection in terms of value here because you look at the scheme Seattle's running more zone-based. They're looking for lighter feet, athletic linemen. This is a guy at the Combine that ran a 4.93-second 40-yard dash and also had a 33-inch vertical. That is really good explosiveness for a 300-plus pound offensive lineman. So I think he'd be a really fun fit, and he's a guy that might be able to play tackle, guard, or even center at the next level. And so he would be a guy, if you can get in the fifth round, I'd be really excited about. So I'm giving that one a B plus. Now let's move to Chase Rydell's draft. And this is one that I think when you're looking from a current event standpoint is really fascinating because this was submitted yesterday before the New Orleans Saints made their monster trade today with the Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles trading away a couple of their first round picks for this year to get one of the Saints first rounders and to get a 2023 first round pick. The Eagles gearing more towards next year's draft, getting a couple extra day two picks on top of that. The Saints, meanwhile, now have two selections in the first round. So that would change this up a little bit. But Chase ended up moving down to number 18 to select George Karloftis of Purdue. And then at 37, trading up to get Matt Corral from Ole Miss. At 41, Sean Ryan, versatile offensive lineman from UCLA. 49, Logan Hall, second draft class we've seen him. That would probably be the back end of the spectrum where you can get him. And at 72, Troy Anderson, linebacker, former quarterback and running back at Montana State, a guy that's done a little bit of everything at the college level. Might have even been the Bobcats water boy when he wasn't playing on the field. And then on the latter part of this draft, Abraham Lucas at 101, Rashad White, the running back from Arizona State, Really intriguing player that had a good week in Mobile, 109 overall. Jelani Woods, another player that's had his stock skyrocket, Virginia tight end at 120. And then the last two picks at 152, Justin Ross, former superstar for Clemson that's had a spinal surgery that's dropped him a little bit here. And Kyler McMichael, the corner out of North Carolina, who we've talked about a couple of times at pick 229. This is another draft that really hits on a number of needs both short and long-term, and I like the value here. I'm giving this one an A- minus with a number of good picks on day three and a number of really nice selections in the first five picks on day one and two. Corbin, this is a tough one for me because I want to give Chase Rydell or Riddle, however you want to pronounce your name, sir, I, I want to give him or they a, a very high grade because I think that they did a great job with, with this particular draft class. At the same time, with all due respect to the draft network, I, I don't know I can give them quite as high of a grade because I just think that there's a lot of players that were still available in this particular projected mock draft class that, that are not likely to be available when they are. Abraham Lucas at number 101 overall. Sure, I would love it. I, I just think that he might go 50 picks ahead of that. Same thing with the running back, Rashad White, uh, at, out of Arizona State. Corbin, he was a guy that I was not quite as high on. The very first time I saw him, uh, you know, I – 
hey, I just didn't see it. But my goodness, when you watch him a little bit more, you see the deceptive speed that you hit that he has. You see the balance after contact. You see the the ability to uh, to make people miss in the open field for a bigger back. It's pretty exciting talent there. Um, Jelani Woods, the same kind of thing. The, the tight end out of Virginia, previously to Oklahoma State, goes to the Las Vegas, uh, goes to Las Vegas, the East West Shrine Bowl, is absolutely tears it up there. Goes to the combine tears it up there he is a player who was moving up and i don't know the tight end is a big area of concern for the seahawks but still i think that you look top to bottom i think that this is the most intriguing draft class that, that seattle is projected to have uh, among the four uh, mock drafts that we're going to look at today i just don't know that it's very realistic do i love the talent for the seahawks absolutely I, I, including at the top but we we've talked a little bit about sean ryan for example and, and he's a really good football player i still wonder if he might not be able to stay outside at that left tackle position rather than being pushed inside to the interior as as some are are projecting uh the same thing with matt corral the quarterback I think that if Seattle is able to get him at number 37 overall, obviously some some little trades that are, that are happening here in, in this projection, but still in the second round, then yeah, he's a, he's a quarterback who I view is a, is a first round guy. I think that he might be in play for Seattle at number nine overall. So sure, in terms of just bang for your buck, I think that this draft class absolutely rocks. Yeah, and we're not going to hold that against our listeners because they're not the ones that make these rankings on all these different mock draft simulators. And so the last thing I'm going to do is tell you, don't pick Abraham Lucas at 101 because in reality, he won't be there. We don't know. We've seen crazy things happen in the draft. We see it year in, year out. We're going to dissect two other mock drafts submitted by listeners here in a moment, a lot of selections, a lot of different choices. Speaking of choices, if you're like me and you're really struggling to stick with your New Year's resolutions, stick with Built Bar. I promise it'll help you get through it. Absolutely delicious protein bars that taste like candy bars, 100% chocolate. If you haven't tried Built Bar Puffs yet, you need to try them. They are the best Built Bars out there. I eat one or two of, two of them either before or after I work out. Sometimes I eat three because they are that delicious, amazing flavors, including banana cream pie. You also have regular Built Bars that come in amazing flavors like peanut butter brownie. That's my personal favorite. You also have orange cream, salted caramel. They're coming out with new flavors every single month. So make sure to check out their website, built.com, to see what new flavors they are cooking up each month, less than 200 calories, less than five net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. It's the perfect protein bar, and it tastes like a candy bar. Visit Built.com and enter in the code LOCK15 to get 15% off your next order. That's Built.com. Enter in the code LOCK15 to get 15% off your next order. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Mock Draft Monday edition. I'm Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, Rob Rang, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We just dissected two fan-submitted mock drafts. We've got two more on top, or two more on tap here on our Mock Draft Monday episode, Rob. SB Demand submitting here, and we've got a trade down going from number nine down to number 20 with the Pittsburgh Steelers and netting a few extra picks. And I like this one because this is about the sweet spot where I would maybe start thinking about picking Trevor Penning out of Northern Iowa. I've talked about the rawness in his game, some questions about him. I would certainly not pick him at number nine, 
but he's an incredible athlete. And I think at pick 20, you're getting a lot more bang for your buck with a guy that could end up being a real stud left tackle in the league. Moving down the rest of this draft at pick 40, Nick Benito out of Oklahoma, an explosive edge rusher. Kyler Gordon from Washington, Pacific Northwest fans know him, pick number 41 to upgrade the secondary. And then another second rounder acquired in that Pittsburgh trade down, Drake Jackson from USC. At pick 72, Darian Beavers, the linebacker out of Cincinnati, who's played both off ball and on the ball as a strong side linebacker and excelled at both for Cincinnati, would give the Seahawks a ton of versatility. He's got the size to rush and play the run off the edge, also more than athletic enough to play in coverage and blitz and all the things that you want from your off-ball linebacker as well. Brian Robinson Jr. at 109. We're noticing that seems to be the hot spot for running backs in all of our mock drafts. Is middle of fourth round, pick 109. Robinson coming from Alabama. At pick 152, Kevin Austin Jr., receiver from Notre Dame. And then at 153, center Alec Lindstrom from Boston College. And finally, a quarterback. And this is another reason you and I picked this one. Almost every mock draft had a QB being picked early, but not in this case. Caleb Ellaby from Western Michigan, who used to throw passes to D. Eskridge, current Seahawks receiver, going to Seattle at pick 229 in the seventh round. You and I have talked about it. He would be one of the guys that's not in that top five or six quarterbacks that maybe late on day three would be well worth a flyer. I actually be surprised if he lasts this long in the draft. I would think he's probably a middle of day three candidate at the latest, probably because of his athleticism. Yeah, I would agree with you. Uh, he is one of my favorite, the day three quarterback prospects, the guy who I think that actually does have some upside, does is worthy uh, of a draft pick. This is, in a lot of ways, Corbin, this is my favorite draft class because I think that the, it absolutely is kind of falling in line with, with what may happen, uh, you know, when, when the NFL draft arrives. If Seattle does not have a guy that they absolutely fall in love with at number nine overall, I mean, his nickname is Trader John for a reason. I mean, John Schneider may, in fact, trade out of that number nine selection and if they are able to trade down as deep as they are in number 20 in, in this projection and, and still be able to address one of their critical areas of need with an offensive tackle and Trevor Penning who I, I think that really fits in with what John Schneider has always preferred in terms of just this massive hulking offensive tackle with a guy who has the athletic ability uh, to, to play in scheme, but also has the physicality, the nastiness that you're looking for if you want to do a true roster rebuild, especially along the offensive line, to be able to kind of bounce back a little bit later and get the pass rushers. And Benito, a little bit of a smaller guy, but certainly has great speed. Drake Jackson, who, you know, he might have the best change of direction, be the most, um, you know, slithery. Uh, for lack of a better word, to be able to just be a pass rusher. He's a really intriguing uh, selection. To me, this is a very sea hockey draft class that we're talking about here from SP Demand. I, I have to agree, Demand, uh, you know, because this is a really interesting draft class in a lot of different ways. A lot of players that I am particularly high on, my, myself, I got to just say that right off the bat, I, I'm high on the physical upside that is Kyler Gordon, that is Brian Robinson, that is Kevin Austin Jr., the wide receiver from Notre Dame. If Kevin Austin just caught the damn ball, I mean, he can run, he can jump. He is a guy who has an awful lot of traits. He should be a top 64 selection. And I've had some conversations with clubs 
that, that suggests that he still might be drafted that high. He has all the physical traits you're looking for. There's just an awful lot of drops on tape. So the he, to me, is exactly the type of guy that you're looking for in those day three picks. Just roll the dice and see if you might be able to win. And, and to me, that, that's the kind of guy that, again, that, that Seattle has won with in the past and also lost with them sometimes. They, they've been willing to roll the dice. And so, again, I, I think that this is a kind of a sea hockey draft. Love it or hate it. I, I, again, I, I think that this is one that actually rings true a little bit with the way the Seahawks think. And so I'm intriguing to see if there are some direct hits with this particular draft class when it's all said and done. Yeah, I don't think as highly of this draft class as what you do, but I think part of it might be for the reason that you just explained. This is a very Seahawky draft, and We've seen some of these picks that they've made in recent years, like, say, LJ Collier, where they've reached for a player at a position of need. I feel like in this particular draft class, you kind of see that a little bit with a few of these picks. I don't have an issue with taking Kyler Gordon at number 41, but I think there are a number of corners that I would pick ahead of him. So that might be a little higher than I would want to go. Certainly has a a pretty high ceiling. Penning, to me, is one of the bigger boom or bust prospects. And I mentioned earlier, if he pans out, he could be an absolute stud left tackle. But it's also possible you could be drafting a guy that three years from now is in LJ Collier's position that is not playing very many snaps, maybe not even starting for you, because he just wasn't able to adapt to the league. I could see that playing out. So that, to me, would be a very risky pick. At number 20, I like some of the day three selections. And I think the third round pick of Darian Beavers, I'm a big fan of him. I like a lot of these Cincinnati prospects. So I don't think this is a bad draft class. I just like in terms of high upside picks and and maybe guys that I feel like maybe are a little better fit for this team moving forward. I probably would compare this one a little less favorably to the other two that we've looked at so far. So not going to give a bad grade. I'm going to give a B. Uh, but not quite as high as the previous two. To me, it's just not quite as deep of a draft class as we've seen. Now, let's finish off real quick with another one here from Jaspreet Singh. And this is the one that you and I have been waiting for here, drafting the quarterback early. We've seen a couple second rounders. We saw the seventh round quarterback in this past draft. This is the one that's got Malik Willis at number nine, Liberty quarterback. If he somehow is still there at number nine, Seattle met with him at the Combine. I've heard from some people that that is a prospect that they have a lot of respect for, they're excited about. So if he's there at nine, it's certainly possible that could be one of the few players that John Schneider decides, I'm not trading down, I'm going to go get my guy. We'll see how they feel if he's still there at that point. But you look at the rest of this class, at 40 and 41 in the second round, Darian Kennard from Kentucky, I absolutely love the mean streak and the nastiness and I understand that he isn't the most fleet of foot, but I think he is still a tackle, a right tackle in the NFL. You can play him at guard, but I still think that he's a tackle. He'd be a good fit for Seattle. And Perrion Winfrey at 41, I would be a little bit cautious about picking him in the first round just because the, his his film's a little bit hit and miss at times. But man, when it's hitting, he is an explosive defensive tackle that would be a good fit for this 3-4 oriented defense can play big end as well. So I like that selection a lot. Cole Strange at pick 72, guard center from Chattanooga. The Seahawks have already met with him. And then in the fourth round, maybe one of the more intriguing corners in this draft, Zion McCollum coming from Sam Houston State, a player that kind of was under the radar, but he's got great size at six foot four. So he projects to be a guy the Seahawks would like at cornerback. And filling out the rest of this draft, 
In the fifth round at 152, Oklahoma edge defender Isaiah Thomas. 153, one of my sleeper running backs in this class, Pierre Strong Jr. from South Dakota State. And at 229, Michael Woods, the receiver from Oklahoma. So this is an Oklahoma-centric draft. Three Sooners coming to the Seahawks in this draft. But particularly those top four or five picks, I think that this mock draft hits a home run. It knocks it out of the park. I think you get a lot of value at key areas of need. You can question picking the quarterback that early, but if it's the right guy, you get the 50-year option, you go get that quarterback and you don't risk losing him. Yeah, it's certainly a fun and an exciting draft class. So again, thank you to everybody who contributed these different, uh, you know, draft ideas. And Jasper Singh with his uh, latest one that we're talking about here. Uh, I what I really like about Corbin is it is taking a different approach than what I traditionally think about from the Seahawks. As I mentioned with the past one, I, I thought that that one rang really true from a Seahawks perspective. To me, this is one that I like a lot of the talent. I just don't know that it is exactly what John Schneider has done in the past. You're talking about three players in the University of Oklahoma. Hey, that Seattle has some really good scouts in that region. I'm not going to not did deny that the possibility that Seattle will double or even triple down, especially considering what they've done. Like Trey Brown, of course, was a former Oklahoma Sooner just this past year. You think about the Oklahoma State guys that Seattle has drafted, Chris Carson, Trey Flowers, Russell Okung, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, Seattle focuses in on that middle of the country kind of region. That said, I would be stunned if you see Seattle come out of this draft class with a kid from Chattanooga, as much as I like Cole Strange, a kid from Sam Houston State, as much as I like Zion McCollum, a, a kid quarterback like, from Liberty. <laughs> From Pierre Strong, you know, in South Dakota State, the quarterback from Liberty right off the bat. I mean, you're talking about a lot of small schools guy kind of guys, and that is not something that Seattle has focused on in the past. Um, and so the, I would be surprised, even though I like all of those players. I think that they're all in, in, intelligently placed with this, this mock draft. And the same thing with Malik Willis. And let's just have a quick conversation there. The, the fact that Seattle has shown a great deal of interest in Malik Willis, they had both their top one of their top scouts in that region, as well as the quarterback, uh, the quarterback coach Dave Canales, where was they were both at Malik Willis's pro day and prominently there, right behind him as he made essentially every single throw. Um, Canales, the, the quarterback coach, is in bright, bright green. You can watch it on YouTube yourself. You will not miss him. Um, that's the thing is like Seattle is interested here in, in Malik Willis. I'm not so sure that he's going to make it down to number nine overall. I'm not so sure that even if he does that Seattle would make this selection. But if you're talking about the quarterback who has that high upside, we've talked about over and over again, Corbin, he Malik Willis has that type of, of, of high upside. And I think that he has some leadership traits to him. So I think that this is an interesting draft class and one that people should be paying attention to a little bit because, again, it does it is a little bit different what was kind of the standard stock answers. And so, therefore, I think that just knowing what John Schneider and Pete Carroll have done for the last you know 12 years, uh, you know, as the brain trust of the Seahawks, they have gone kind of counter to the expectations. So don't be surprised again. If we see Jaspreet Singh be the one who actually has a couple of direct hits when it comes to projecting Seattle's draft class. And you can guarantee we're going to do what we did last year. We're going to be hanging on to all these old mock drafts. And when the actual draft happens later this month, we'll see which one of you has been looking into the crystal ball and seeing what John Schneider is going to do. And that's what makes this entire process fun 
leading up to the draft. As always, thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Make sure to check out for your second listen, the Locked on NFL Draft Podcast, hosted by Ryan Tracy and former NFL cornerback Eric Crocker. They're bringing the NFL Draft to life every day with insight and analysis on college football prospects and NFL front offices. It's free and available wherever you get podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and we're streaming five days a week on YouTube. Coming up on tomorrow's episode, the Seahawks are in the midst of a major transition at quarterback. Rob and I are going to take a little bit of a throwback Tuesday spin, looking back at some notable quarterback transitions earlier in Seahawks history. So get out your history books, get out your notes. We're going to be dishing out some intel from the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s as we prepare for this new era of Seahawks football. As always, thanks for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Go Hawks.